0: Welcome to the Practical Employment Law Podcast, a podcast covering all aspects of American employment law. I'm your host, Mark Chumley. EWA stands for Earned Wage Access. Did you know that? I was generally aware of the whole EWA thing, which has probably been around for 10 plus years at this point but I don't think I've ever had an employer ask me a question about EWAs until very recently. And having taken a much deeper dive into the subject, I have to say I'm surprised and concerned about that because EWAs are a minefield for employers. So let's jump into this topic and, despite the title of this episode, I promise not to wrap. First things first, what are EWAs? Earned wage access is a way for employees to receive their earned wages before their regular payday. Basically, a third-party provider is given information about time worked by the employee and pays them the amount earned right away rather than the employee having to wait for payday. Of course, there's a fee for this service. There are two basic types of EWAs. First, the consumer model is an arrangement directly between the employee and the EWA provider without the employer's involvement we will not concern ourselves with that model. The second type of EWAs are those offered by employers as a benefit for their employees. Apparently, these kinds of EWAs are gaining in popularity, driven in part by pay models in the gig economy. In the so-called employer-integrated model, The employer enters into an agreement with the EWA provider and often provides access to its payroll or timekeeping system to allow the EWA provider to pay employees as they earn their wages. Employer integrated programs typically fund an earned wage advance through the employer's payroll system and then recoup the advance through a payroll deduction facilitated by the employer on the employee's next regular payday. Fees for the service are usually in the form of transaction fees or subscription fees for the service, and some services include optional tips that can impact the user's experience in some way. Payments under these programs can be made in several ways, via direct deposits, to accounts maintained by the EWA provider, or even to debit cards. Now I know what some of you are thinking. How is this different from a payday loan? Well, the big difference is that employees are only allowed to access funds once they have been earned, so it is not characterized as a loan. This is a critical point because EWA providers do not want to be subject to licensing and regulation that goes along with offering a credit-based product. It works much better for them if it's merely a wage payment service, and the employees who need money sooner than payday can benefit from the program. So everybody's happy and we don't have anything else to talk about, right? Well, not so fast. Let's put aside the consumer credit issues and the tax issues that are raised by EWAs, beyond the scope of this podcast. Although it does occur to me that most employers calculate and pay their withholdings according to a weekly or bi-monthly schedule, so I'm not sure how more frequent paydays might alter their tax obligations. And similarly, it seems like compliance with wage garnishment orders would be complicated by EWAs as well. But putting those issues aside, we still have plenty of employment law issues to consider. I'm going to do this a little backwards and give you a conclusion before covering the issues. And the conclusion is, I think employers can use EWAs, but the administrative and compliance issues are significant, and anyone using EWAs or considering it will need to do a deep dive into all applicable laws and consider the administrative issues that might arise depending on exactly what EWA system they use. Having said that, here are some issues raised by EWAs in no particular order, and most of these are based on state wage and hour laws. Assignment of Wages Many states have laws on the books that prohibit or limit the assignment of wages. This is an issue because the EWA providers advance wages to employees as they are earned, and then on the actual payday they recoup the advanced amount and send the remaining amount on to the employee. In a sense, the employee is assigning his or her wages to the EWA provider, but this is illegal in many states, or if it is legal, it's subject to several requirements, usually things like a separate written agreement, and some states require spousal consent to assignment, and some limit the purposes of assignment to things like child and spousal support and union dues. Again. It is likely possible to comply with these kinds of requirements, but it may be an administrative nightmare for employers operating in multiple states with different laws. Next, so-called free and clear laws. Many state laws and federal law require that wages be paid to the employee free and clear. Some laws have language like wages must be paid in cash or by instrument negotiable in cash on demand and without discount. The problem with EWAs is that they charge fees for employees to receive the wages early. One might argue that this is fine because the employee is not being charged a fee to receive wages, but is paying to get them sooner than normal. That's an argument, but so far it's an untested argument, and it may or may not work. Some employers with EWA programs are trying to avoid this issue by covering the fees for their employees, but this would increase the cost of providing the benefit. Some may say, what's the big deal? The fees involved are nominal, usually well under $10. But anyone who has been involved in wage and hour litigation knows that the really attractive cases to plaintiff's attorneys are those involving class or collective actions. While the fees may be nominal to the individual employees, they can be quite substantial for a large class of employees, and that's to say nothing of statutory awards of attorney's fees and possible penalties. Next, direct deposit. Direct deposit. Another area that is regulated by a variety of state laws is direct deposit. Some states have varying laws about whether and how employees can authorize direct deposits. Some also have limitations on where wages can be deposited, for instance, only in a bank or savings and loan. This creates another potential issue because it's not always clear exactly how or where the EWA providers are holding the employee's wages. Is an employer complying with direct deposit laws when it runs wages through the third-party EWA provider? Again, this is an issue that will require a deep dive into applicable state laws. Next issue, unauthorized deductions. There are a multitude of state laws that limit an employer's ability to deduct from employees' wages, and often they require employers to obtain written permission for deductions in some specific format. When EWAs charge fees, do the fees count as wage deductions that might run afoul of state laws? Again, the answer is maybe, but there is the potential for violations and it's something employers must consider. Another issue, final pay laws. Many states have requirements about the timing of final paychecks for departing employees. In many cases, employers have a check ready to give to the employee at the time of termination. Obviously, EWAs may complicate this process. On a related note, many states have laws about exactly what information is to be included on pay stubs, and again this may be complicated by EWAs. Does each advance EWA payment need to include all the information required on a pay stub? Finally, let's consider employee privacy issues. To use EWA apps, employees will have to enter some information, like social security numbers, that employers take steps to protect from disclosure. If it is disclosed by the EWA provider, perhaps if they are hacked, does the employer bear responsibility for that? It's a distinct possibility. And these, these uh, issues I've just listed, this is by no means an exhaustive list. There are probably others out there. So where does all of this leave us? Well, here are some basic takeaways. First, the employer will ultimately be responsible for any violations of wage and hour law. Allowing an EWA provider into the pay process is not going to shield the employer from potential liability. Employers should review their agreements with the EWA providers and consider whether indemnification is an option. Next, I think I've said this a few times, but there is a serious compliance problem. Employers using EWAs need to carefully consider all applicable laws and determine if their program is in compliance. I think this is going to be a big job for large employers who operate in multiple states. Next, employers should be prepared for the administrative issues that EWAs will bring up. By way of example, I often get calls from employers trying to recover overpayments of wages, and it's easy to imagine this being an issue with EWAs as well. But how will that process work? Finally, employers need to consider the legal landscape. Several states have introduced legislation to address wage and hour issues related to EWAs, but to my knowledge, nothing has actually made it into law yet. But it is on the radar of state legislatures and agencies, and you can rest assured that laws and regulations will be coming. Also, to my knowledge, there haven't been any significant court decisions on the topic of EWAs, but I suspect this will change as EWAs continue to expand in popularity. And I think they will, because they seem to be pretty popular now with employees, and employers are continuing to struggle to attract employees. This is just another benefit that may help. This has been the Practical Employment Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please watch for future episodes wherever you get podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you would like to contact me about any aspect of the podcast, my email address is mchumley at kmklaw.com, and my full contact information is in the show notes. This podcast was created for general informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. Although we attempt to ensure that the podcast is complete, accurate, and up-to-date, we assume no responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. The information in this podcast is not intended to create, and listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon this information without seeking professional legal counsel.